Welcome to the Enrollment Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Will Patch. I'm Enrollment Marketing Leader here at Niche.com. Today, I'm speaking to Susanna Briscoe-Alba. Susanna is the Dean of Admissions at Mount St. Mary College. Welcome aboard, and thanks for joining me here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. So we've got two questions to start out here. The first, what's something you tried that didn't work, and what did you learn? Oh, man. I think the, the first thing that I tried that didn't work was I tried to fit myself into the mold of folks who I thought were really successful because I thought, well, if I act this way and if I look this way and if I sound this way, then it worked for this person. So it has to work for me. So I can't afford to be my true self. And man, did I learn very quickly that that is not the case. <laughs> I think um, <laughs> but people are more concerned with authenticity and genuineness more than than replicating another model of something else for someone else. I try to think in those terms when I'm when I'm working with my team, when I'm connecting with families. I try to remember that being me is nothing wrong with that and embrace the awkward. <laughs> <laughs> We're in a world where everyone wants those best practices and you keep hearing yeah. these same quotes from these big name people who supposedly know it all. Um, yeah. I like that you took your own road. Yeah, you know, and I think for a lot of what we do in the world of enrollment management, the reason why I embrace the awkward is is something that I tell myself so often is that everyone at any given point feels this moment of awkwardness, whether it's the first year student who is trying to figure out what college to go to, or it's the transfer student who is trying to figure out what next, or the adult student who is going back to school after years of being on in the in the workforce, there's a level of awkwardness they get really nervous about. And it's okay to be that way because our whole role is to be able to educate and be able to guide and serve. And I think if we're not genuine and authentic, man, we really do ourselves a disservice because then people can't feel like they relate. Do you think that that maybe is just a better way of thinking about imposter syndrome? Yeah, I, th I think so. I, I hadn't, uh, now that you mention it, yes, it makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> what are some practices you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? There are often times that I'll call my team in. I rely very much on my team in that some of the greatest ideas that have worked for us have not come from my head. So when I'm trying to brainstorm on, on how we can connect with students, with their families, with members of the campus, you know, it's not uncommon for me to say, hey, listen, what do you think about this? And what do you think about that? And if you could do X, Y, and Z, what, that, what would that look like? And so that has really kind of changed the dynamic with our team because they feel like I care, like I want to hear their ideas, um, like they have a voice within our department so that it's not just coming from the top down, but it's something that everybody collectively can kind of champion around. And so when I'm trying to brainstorm on new things, most of the time I'll kind of have a thought and then I'll break it out to my leadership team and, and have them kind of either talk me off the ledge or add. And I, I also like to tell them nothing is crazy, right? Let's just kind of get it out of our heads and on paper and, and then we can streamlined from there. And, and some of those crazy moments where they're talking about, you know, let's host the open house on the moon. Well, we know we can't do that. <laughs> like, we know we can't do that. But what would we do if that were the case? Some of those events kind of have a, a little bit of, of what started off on the moon kind of down back to earth because we've been able to kind of take away the barriers of dreaming big and, and thinking big and then making it work. I think big ideas are great to start at the moon and chop down a little bit to what's realistic yeah. rather than say, where are we? What little pieces can 
we add to it? Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, I tell my team more often than not, sometimes they're the ones that are like, okay, Susanna, I need you to tone that down. But sometimes <laughs> there are there are times that I tell them, listen, guys, I have champagne taste on a water budget. So you <laughs> have to be realistic of, uh, of of what we can do. So in the in the dreaming phase, yeah, we, we have unlimited resources. But when the push comes to shove, how can we make this really fabulous idea work with what we have? And there have been really great ones and there have been some misses, but we've learned, you know, I, I really don't think every loss is a loss. I think it's a lesson. And I think that when you kind of view things in that way, then you give your team the opportunity to say, all right, well, this didn't work out so well. I'm going to pick myself up and this isn't the end of the world. That's good. You're giving them permission to fail. Yeah. And I really do believe that you fail forward. And that's, again, your form of thinking. Failing forward is something that you can either revert back to what didn't work and just kind of keep in that same cycle or, okay, this this sucked and this did not go as planned, but what did we learn? I challenge them to kind of look at our things like that. And, and it's just exciting as a leader to see them grow throughout those pieces. As a leader, it, it also helps me to see them think critically uh, so that when we're dealing with really big situations, I know that they can think outside of the box and, and that they're equipped. I think as a leader, that's not managing two departments, I I really am trying to be very mindful not to be the bottleneck. I don't think that everything needs to be touched by me. I want my team to say, you know what, Susanna, we were in the middle of doing this and this was a decision that we made and here's why. And trust that they know, okay, this is this was good, this was not good, and then we can reconvene. It sounds a little like you're really developing sort of a linear structure where people are able to make their own decisions and, and try new things. I'm trying to, um, you know, I'm, I also tell my team, you know, especially my counseling staff that I know that the most important work doesn't happen coming out of my office because by the time they get to me and at my level, they're either really happy or really annoyed, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so if I can empower them to be able to make decisions in terms of making sure that the experience of our students, of their family is top notch and different than anything else that they've encountered, I'm going to trust that you know that if for some reason, and it goes horribly wrong, then that's why I'm here, right? I can step in, I can roll up my sleeves and say, okay, let me let me take over from here on out. Because I think to a certain degree, they're still expecting you to lead. But in the same token, especially with the young people that are coming into the workforce right now, they're very opinionated, they're, they're big dreamers, they have some really great ideas. And so I don't want them to feel like they're hitting a roadblock. And I, I also don't want to paint this picture that anything goes. As the leader, you have to kind of put certain things into place and, and say, okay, that, that was really great, but not right now. There are three answers. Yes, no, and and wait. And it's in that waiting period where those really great ideas that maybe for this moment don't work later on, well, we can really make something big happen. When you're working with especially new staff, young staff, they can have these big ideas, but they might be afraid to voice them. Mm -hmm. Have you had to coach people through that? I have. <laughs> for my counseling team, especially the counselors that are going out on the road to college fairs and stuff like that, I had the awesome opportunity of being able to travel with them and have one-on-one -on -one kind of coaching sessions. I mean, we're in the car sometimes and I try to ask them what their plans are, what their goals are, and also kind of share my heart for what I see for our team, for our departments, what we want to, where we want to grow. And I think in, in setting that expectation that no crazy question is crazy unless you don't ask it. Once they've 
had that opportunity to connect with me, then they know I can ask Susanna this question. They call me Suze, and I want to say that they call me Suze out of love. They'll come in and they'll say, uh, Suze, you know, I had this really big thought on the way to such and such. And after our conversation, I, I think I can run this by you. What do you think? And I love when those situations happen because it, they happen on their own, right? I don't have to coerce them to kind of share their information. They're, they're kind of like, okay, well, we were able to have this conversation. She's normal, I like to believe, or a little crazy. <laughs> But she's human. And I think with with a lot of them, it's, again, building trust and going off of the experience that I've had. I've had some really amazing people in my background who have poured into me and seen the better in me before I have seen it in myself. And so I just want to pay that forward for my team as well. I think managers are looking for people who are going to be solution minded that that you got to teach your team how to be by empowering them to make decisions and then stepping in when need be. You're making me want to sign up for the Briscoe Alba School of Management here. That's <laughs> oh, man, if there was one, let me tell you, you'd be the first. <laughs> but I think, no, you know, I think my, my trajectory into, into enrollment management hasn't been the norm. Like, I didn't start off as, as an admissions counselor. I didn't even start off as ambassador. But I think that a lot of what we do is just surrounded around the life that we lead, you know, and I think that you have every day the opportunity to look at life and kind of think in terms of opportunities or in terms of I'm a product of my circumstances, you know, and, and the reason that I love higher education so much is because it presented me and my family with opportunities, you know, um, with opening doors. And so when you take that approach, when you're connecting with students and families, then talking about admissions becomes very different. Talking about financial aid becomes very different because it's, again, an opportunity. And in a world where higher education has become about shopping, as, it, as you would price match between Walmart and Target, the biggest distinction is how the customer at the end feels, in our case, how the family or the student at the end feels. If they feel all the warm and fuzzies, then to them, it's worth the investment. I'm trying to create more experiences for our families to, to remember more than just transactional interactions, because you can transact with anybody. But if the experience is one of, of respect, one that is memorable, you know, power of moments, that, that is huge for me. With everything that we're facing in the midst of, of this situation with, with the coronavirus and such, it's going to be more about that connectivity and that just genuineness and authenticity. Because I can connect with people, but you have to be able to kind of connect on a different level if they can't be right in front of you. And so what does that look like? And and I don't know that I have all the answers for that. I, I like to say real knows real. If you're going to communicate with a family, man, just be authentic. Speak to what is happening right now, but also speak to the the fact that you're here to serve them. And I think that that's where we lose sight of things. We think that we earn title and we earn position and now people are here to serve me. And I'm in this position to serve others. Yeah. And that's something that I think everyone's going to pick up on right here. And certainly every conversation I've had with you, either online or, or back at NACAC, everything has been about serving others. And you just have this boundless well of positivity and energy. <laughs> and you've advanced very quickly. So what what got that buy-in? Is that is that the servant leader mentality? Ooh, child. <laughs> you know, no, um, I think I think honestly, again, going back to just genuineness and and authenticity, right? Serving for me is more than than just kind of like a good feel. I think it has a lot to do with just my background and, and how I view things. You you tend to look at things very differently when when you don't have as much to begin with, when when you don't have certain privileges that other people do. And so everything 
everything that kind of comes into your hand and, and everything that you get to be a part of, man, I see them as blessings, as opportunities. And I think that when you have this type of servant mentality, when it becomes more than just a fancy saying or something that you read in a book, when it becomes a lifestyle, then it permeates everything, not just my work, but serving in my family, serving in my community, serving in, in my church, serving in any aspect of that. And I think that for the biggest part of how do I get buy-in is that there is nothing that is beneath me. I've tried to do everything. So that means if we're having an accepted student day and there's trash on the floor, I can call the maintenance staff. But if it's within me that I can pick it up and I can throw it out, then I'm going to pick it up and throw it out. If it's that there is a spill and there's a mop by me, then let's get busy with this mop. When your team sees that you're willing to do the same things that they're doing, then they're going to be like, well, if she's willing to do it, then then man, I have to be able to do it too. And I think that that, again, sets the tone. And and that, I think, has been what has gotten buy-in for me and, and has helped me to advance. I think also, too, I'm told that I'm very warm. The The reason behind that is because you don't know the story of, of the people that you come in contact with. We have the opportunity to be impactful, but we have to make the decision to want to be impactful. I hope that people take away that mentality of no matter what, be that positivity for someone else, even if it's a struggle for you. Let me also be very clear, Will. As a leader, there are times where I am having a heck of a day. I have a two-year-old. <laughs> so so living life with a toddler, man, can get really interesting. But at the same token, I have learned from that. It's not that other person's fault that my son decided to throw Cheerios at me. So so like you kind of have to also take a look at that too. And, and it's not that I walk around with rose-colored sunglasses on and thinking that we're going to kind of get around a fire and sing Kumbaya and the world is going to be great. But it's the reality of I have a decision to make and I can either operate in and wallow in whatever I'm facing or I can choose to turn this around for my good, which in turn will be good for someone else. If you're not at that place, it's okay to say, you know what? I just need a few minutes. And I've done that. I've done that with my team where I've had to make a decision or I've been confronted with something and I'm like, y'all, I just need a few minutes. And and when you're that vulnerable and that open with your team, they're willing to say, you know what? You got it. But at the same token, I also try to tell them only give me a few minutes, right? Because I don't want to wallow in this for a long time. <laughs> Well, that's good. You're saying the expectation for them too, then. If they need a second, they have permission to kind of back up, think about yeah. it, take that beat, and then Absolutely. make sure they don't have to um, And I all. tell them, you know, it's all right. Freak out with me instead of freaking out with a family. Because instead of mm -hmm. freaking out with a family, again, that's an experience that you're creating. So they're going to remember that this person just freaked out on me for no reason. But from my perspective, you freak out in my office and nobody else needs to know. Whenever they're having those moments and they close the door to my office, my first response is welcome to Vegas. Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, if, you're, <laughs> if, you, ha if you need a moment and, and you need to just kind of gather yourself and collect your thoughts, then fine. I'd rather you do that with me than have a very sad our experience leading forward because you only get one shot to leave a lasting impression. What are some of the questions that other young professionals and middle managers should be asking themselves? You've had some good mentorship, <laughs> it sounds like, but what were you asking yourself and what do you think others should be asking? For me, as middle managers and as, as others who are looking to move into management, questions that you should be asking yourself is, okay, when I present a problem, and I, am I presenting just the problem or am I starting off with the solution to a problem? Um, and that was one of my mentors shared that with me. You know, managers, leaders already have enough problems that they're dealing with. So for you to bring up one, it would be very helpful for you to bring one up, but also bring up a solution because 
again, we don't always know it all. And so to have someone who can critically think that way and say, Susanna, this is this is what I'm thinking in the midst of what we have going on. This is the problem I'm identifying, but this is a solution that I think can work. I'm going to have more faith in that after kind of seeing it day in and day out, because the truth of the matter is too, Will, that some of the problems that they're bringing up to me, I have been so far removed that I don't know the solution right away. So it's going to take me a little, a little bit of time to come up with one. So when you have one already kind of thinking ahead of the curve, then that is helpful to, to your leader, to your manager. Also, am I willing to be uncomfortable for a little while in order to, to take on more? And I think that, again, we've in our society, you're supposed to have everything figured out and, and everything is supposed to kind of be in a nice little package and tied with a bow. Some of the greatest innovation comes when you don't have it all figured out. As a leader, as a manager, or as someone who's looking to move up, are you okay to suck at something for a little while for it not to be so great until you kind of get your groove? Um, and if the answer for that is yes, then isn't that management? Like there are things that are going to get presented before you that you may not know right away. And you're going to make decisions that probably aren't the best one in that particular case, but that's how you learn. Are you uncomfortable with failure? Like, are you going to beat yourself up or are you going to be willing to take a look at this and say, all right, this is what I did. This is where I can learn from and grow from and, and move forward. You know, those are, those are some of the things that I think you need to be willing to ask yourself as someone who is looking to take on more. Am I willing to be uncomfortable? Am I willing to be um, vulnerable? Because I think once we get to a point where we are comfortable, then learning stops because you feel like you've learned everything. Discomfort is where we learn. Absolutely. What if they don't believe in themselves? You see it in them. How do you get them to ask themselves if they aren't thinking yet? Well, one of the things that I try to do with our team, and this is only because I've observed that with the group that is coming into the workforce now, they need constant feedback or appreciate, I should say, appreciate constant feedback. So I try to, this past winter, I think in January, I, I tried to connect with our team and, and say, okay, we've made it through the full cycle. You've you've been on, on the road now almost 10 weeks. Tell me what your plan is from here on out. And for some of them, they were like, I don't have a plan. <laughs> for some of them, they were like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I noticed on the road. Because then that gives you the opportunity to course correct and gives you the opportunity to pour into people in a timely fashion because hope is not a strategy. So if you are just hoping that things are going to fall into place and you're hoping that X, Y, and Z will happen and then they don't, you weren't equipped from the very beginning. And so that is the place where kind of seeing it in them before they see it in themselves is what is your working plan and, and forcing them, not forcing them, but encouraging them or creating the atmosphere for them to be able to think outside of the box, for them to be able to reflect in what has happened and, and how can I continue forward? Not only because, of course, we have a class that we need to bring in, but at the same token, I need to make sure that you are equipped. And so like that, I can then kind of relay that information back to our middle management of this is what I'm noticing with our team. We, we probably need to make some adjustments here or we need to pull the lever on this a little bit more for them to be effective. That can be scary because sometimes managers are like, well, you're kind of bypassing me and going right to the counselor. But I think it's important that my managers also feel that they have a voice too, but that my counselors also feel like they can come and connect with me as well. I'll ask them, like, what's your growth plan? What is it that you want to do? And, and I'm also very honest with them that if an opportunity presents itself where I think that one of my counselors or one of my managers would be a really good fit, I will make a recommendation. And let me be clear, I'm also not shunning people 
out. But at the same token, I am I'm also very real in knowing that higher education, while it's big, it's small in that we all talk. And I think when your team knows that you have their best interest, then they're willing to kind of go above and beyond because they know that if an opportunity does present itself and they are ready for it, then I'll make a reference. I will kind of talk to them. And I think that's also important for us to understand that if there is something where you've poured into this person and and you have been able to watch them grow and there's not an opportunity per se within your team, within your institution, and someone else is kind of looking for that, then as a leader, man, what a legacy you get to leave behind. Because then you can go back and say, wow, I remember when Susanna started and, and man, look how far she's gone. Yeah, you're building that coaching tree at that point. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I believe that that pays forward, that they they too later on will pour into the teams that they lead. And Will, you know, I don't have it all figured out. There are things that I'm still trying to understand and kind of wrap my head around, but I really do believe in developing people. I think that feeds right into what I wanted to ask you next. You know, admissions offices are so pyramidal. Got lots of these positions down right. the bottom. Funnels up to basically one position. So how do you cultivate that patience in people that they need to get the right experiences, get the right opportunities, can't have... 10 people all suddenly become a VP. From my perspective too, like once you get there, it's not everything that you think it is. <laughs> I, I will not lie. Like I love what I do. I, I love the place that I'm at, you know, and I, it's such a blessed opportunity to be able to serve in this manner. But it's also being real, understanding that the most important stuff doesn't necessarily happen in my office is an area where they can, they can, in what they do, really be of impact. And for our team, we went from not having a very clear vision and focus focus to meeting as a unit at least once a quarter. So when when I started working with this team, we didn't have staff meetings. My team here is about 25 between admissions and financial aid. And it was really interesting when I started in this role that our first meeting, we did introductions well. <laughs> because there were members of the house who had been working in admissions 10 plus years and didn't know other members that were working in the same oh, building. Wow. That was very telling to me because how can you move a group forward if people don't know who's in their group? And so for me, it was for them to be able to create accountability amongst each other and then at the same token, champion behind a goal and a vision. When we had our series of meetings that led up to our staff retreat, then I felt like our team was ready for me to be able to cast a vision of what we were hoping to do. But in order for us to get to that point, it took a lot of work just to get there to remind people what the focus was, because I, I don't think that they knew outside of, OK, we need to meet this number. There's many ways to get to that target, but you have to know how you fit in. And I think our team didn't know that before. From our operations team to, to our counseling team to even some of our managers, they weren't sure, how do I fit into this whole big picture? Once they kind of were able to understand what the goal was, then everybody was able to champion around what the common focus is. And it's been really interesting to see some of them advance even in that setting. So even without getting additional money or getting an additional title, there have been some people who have really stepped their game up. Now that they understand what the goal is, in our roles, there's a lot of high turnover. So I have to be mindful of that as well. I became obsessed with making sure that the leaders had the things that they needed to be able to lead effectively, that they were connecting with me. We started to meet weekly just so that I can hear what was happening across the landscape of the offices. Our office is kind of broken up into two separate buildings. So FaceTime with each other. So like that, everybody is kind of operating on the same playing field is very important when we're separated out that way. That's how I get them to stay focused. And then in order to take on more, again, happy people produce happy work. When we get together 
as an entire unit, we do recognition and we give each other shout outs. It's going to sound weird, but we just kind of love on each other, right? Because I think that as a family, we go through things. As a team, we go through things and people want to feel like they have that support. So how do you stay connected with those one-on-one relationships with students and families? A lot of your time now is going to be meetings and committees and sort of the the paperwork of it all. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be intentional. Mm-hmm. Intentional, intentional, intentional. At our open house events, I make it my business to walk to the tables, walk around the tables um, where the families are having breakfast and connecting with each other and, and just kind of share who I am and what I do. I mean, they know my title, but they don't know me. That's what I try to do to be intentional at, at our recent admitted student event. I try to take out time to attend some of those parent sessions. So we break up our students from their parents. And so parents have a very different set of questions than their students do. Their students are asking about the food on campus and the guys are looking at the girls and the girls, the guys, you know, kind of that kind of thing. Um, Whereas the parents are like, now what? You know, and there's a certain level of anxiety that comes with that for the families who have done this a couple of times. Then it's not that the anxiety is completely gone, but they want to know that you have their students' best interest at heart. And for the families who they're now, this is the first time that it's an empty nest. What what do I do? You know, so to be able to kind of be intentional in my outreach to them, I do email our families a bit. There are messages that I craft that are specifically to the family. And then there's messages that I craft that are specifically to the student. Both are different, but they still have the same tone and and, uh, call to action, if you will, depending on where we are in the cycle. But that takes intentionality. It's again, very easy for us to get caught up in committees and meetings and, and all the paperwork and then kind of be caught off guard when, somebody is is annoyed because they haven't heard from you. If you're intentional on that, and, and technology has given us the opportunity to plan intentionality ahead of time, <laughs> you know, so that if you're going to be crafting a message or an email to a family, okay, I'm going to type this out, have somebody take a look at it for me, and then I'm going to schedule it to go out at such and such time. You know, I think if you, if you do that and you start with that kind of mindset, then that will be helpful. I also try to meet our families where they, they are. We did a Minute with the Dean kind of series when when I first started in this role, the goal behind it was to be able to give college search tips, if you will, in a minute's time, because people just don't have a very long attention span. No. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah. And uh, I also know that they're not reading the nine million emails that they're getting. So I thought, OK, if our students are already on YouTube, which most of them are, then chances are their families are. If they're going to be on YouTube four or five hours, I just need a minute to be able to tell you what to do in terms of how to apply. And then after you've applied, once you've gotten your decision, what comes next? And and so that Minute with the Dean series picked up traction very early on. And that was just kind of like my buffer between when we could get back out on the road and connect with families. And then I did one in Spanish as well, because we have a large Latino Hispanic population in the area that we're at. And that again is going back to recruiting the family. I wanted the families to say, okay, well, this person is speaking to me in my native language in a language that I understand. And no, she didn't say that the student can come for free. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I I wanted to be intentional about how that connectivity was happening in a way that I could still participate in some of these committees and do all of this paperwork and, you know, all of the things that come with the role of being dean. But also, should you be going through this process, there's still another way for you to be able to connect with me. They're on our website. And I'm always surprised when people are like, oh, my God, I saw you. And I'm like, where did you see me? (laughs) And I'm like, oh, right. 
<laughs> we did that. We're going to pick that up again now that the weather is getting nice. So that when we're out at a college fair, they're like, oh my goodness, I feel like I know you because I saw you on, on X, Y, and Z. So just again, trying to think differently. And those are wonderful pieces too, because a year from now, people can still be finding that and finding it useful and it took a minute of your time. You're not having that same conversation every time, but they can still address you with questions, with follow-up. Right. We went even as far out to do like a shopping spree <laughs> with two students who were deposit paid and that poor Bed Bath & Beyond store, they were must have been like, what is going on? <laughs> but even to, the, even to that level, like we wanted to be able to tell students, okay, this is what you can expect to bring. You can send that out in an email you know, but that's not where our students are. You know, that's sometimes not where our families are. They have five minutes between a class or on their commute to work to kind of watch this video real quick. And yeah, you know what? I was going to Bed Bath and & Beyond and, and now I know that I need an extra long twin. And this was the brand that she said, and I don't really like this color, but at least I know I'm in the, in the right wheelhouse. Mm. And we use a student who would be residing on campus and a commuter student because I wanted to also be mindful that those are two populations that we are recruiting and, and their needs are going to be different. And that's what it's all about. You have to think about how do we reach these families we're serving, where they are. So uh, two two very different institutions, right? Mercy and, and uh, the Mount. But you have to be able to morph and to meet the needs of those folks. And, and I'm not saying that we need to be all things to everyone. But as much as we possibly can, let's try to, first of all, identify what the need is. And then second of all, how, how do we see ourselves being able to meet that need? I've learned a tremendous amount because people took the time to share what they knew. And, right. you know, if I don't give back and I'm not sharing what I'm learning along the way, and if others don't keep doing it, we can all just stagnate. We can't exactly. keep learning unless people take the time to share. You better watch out with this service learning, service thinking <laughs> mindset, sir. But that's exactly what it is that we do, you know. So um, so it's so good to be able to connect. And it's so easy to get excited about just common good, right? Just what we do. And, and one of the things that I do tell our team if, is that if you're in higher education for the money, <laughs> let's talk about something real different. <laughs> let's you go really check your math it. skills. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's have a real conversation here. But you have to love what it is that you do. Because when you do love, of what it is that you do, it'll be way more rewarding than any paycheck ever will be. Yes, it's the most rewarding thing. I, I taught before this, and there's things that you do because it's an opportunity. There's things that you do because you absolutely are passionate about it. Right. It's Right. And and that's not to excuse the fact that we got bills to pay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the same token, you know, you, you again, happy people produce happy work. Exactly. I, I love that. So where, where can people find you if they want to connect and, and chat some more? Oh my. Well, you can find me on Twitter. I am Susanna Alba is my Twitter handle. Oh, that's new to me. So shout out to uh, the person who got me onto Twitter. You know who you are, sir. You can also find me on Instagram and on our on our college website. You can find me on YouTube <laughs> with our Minimal um series. But I'm always an email or a phone call away as well. So if you go onto our website and, and you look me up, you'll be able to find me. 